0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the giant Robot smashing into other giant robots podcast, where we explore the design, development and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen.
1: And I'm your host, Chad Pytel. Today, we're joined by Alistair McLean-Forman, CEO and founder of TakeOmetrics. Alistair, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much, Chad and Lindsay. I'm excited to be a part of this. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. As we mentioned in the last episode, Alistair is one of the
1: founders we're going to be checking in with over this startup series. Alistair, we're super excited to have you. A member of your team joined a previous episode, Atish, episode 301. Some people who are listening might be a little bit familiar with Tickometrics, but as a refresher and for those who haven't heard of the company before, could you give a brief overview?
2: Absolutely. No, thank you. Um, yes, we help entrepreneurs sell on the most valuable platforms. And uh, what that means is today we help thousands of brands operate on Amazon, Walmart, and other platforms. And and we do it with the latest cutting edge technologies using AI and machine learning. And and basically, Chad, we're giving these entrepreneurs an operating system to help them execute and be more profitable on Amazon and and the most valuable places for e-commerce.
1: So today we're gonna talk about product roadmap and the way that you think about it and the way that it maybe has changed over time. So to get started with that, how did Ticometrics get started? And then at the time, how were you deciding what you should do?
2: Thanks, that's an amazing question. It takes me way back. It's a humbling question. About 19 years ago now, I was in my Harvard dorm room selling products. You know, I came over from the UK to study it at, at Harvard undergrad. You know, I realized how expensive it was to get through school, and I was doing dorm cleaning jobs, honestly, to, to pay for textbooks. And I decided to build a website to sell products that I enjoyed using. One of them in particular was a, a sports watch, a heart rate monitor watch. I built a website. It, it was before Amazon was a, a, a sort of a hub for e-commerce. It was even before Google Shopping. And uh, the website was very well indexed and uh, allowed me to go from, you know, really scrounging together and doing these uh, sort of menial jobs to to making a couple of thousand dollars on a daily basis. And um, what ended up happening in 2003, Amazon had, had worked with Toys R Us to extend outside of the book category. And I uh, actually found the website that I built and said, look, we're trying to expand outside of books. You've got some inventory that's interesting. We've got this vision of a marketplace. Would you like to be part of it? And you know, fast forward to today, that marketplace now represents 65% of all of Amazon's volume. So it's a $250 billion e-commerce marketplace that Amazon's developed. And I've lived that journey. Half of that journey has been as a seller. And I think, you know, when you're asking me about the product roadmap, that was a natural opportunity to think through all of the pain points. Uh, If you think about, you know, product market fit, we had that day one because I built Taker Metrics on the basis of all the problems. Uh, Taker is the Japanese word for market price, and it relates to the fact that our customer is the seller. Of course, Jeff Bezos has built Amazon on the basis of being maniacally focused on customers as consumers, who's on the other side of that. And and that's what we do. That's where the AI and machine learning is focused on, on optimizing uh, on the supply chain side, on the seller side.
0: After that initial start, what was the next step for you? were you building something yourself do you have a technical background or did you bring in someone technical early on
2: again sort of reflecting back to how it all began in the beginning i don't have a, a pure technical background you know my father's an electrical engineer and i've always had an interest in in building and dabbled in in programming at a younger age but ultimately what I've been able to do is is think around more of the product vision and the problem solving and the design. And uh, we built the first prototype, and I remember this very specifically. When I was, uh, you know, scaling up our retail company, the part that really triggered the idea was thinking about Amazon as a, an interesting data set. And I was thinking about, you know, what if we branched outside of sports and goods what would we need to do to understand the best categories to sell? So I used a a sort of screen scraping tool and started to scrape all of the different categories on Amazon. And this was probably in 2007. That gave us a really interesting data set to work with. And the interesting part was I, I ended up actually putting out an ad to offer Amazon seller tools you know just built a quick marketing website and and actually got a lead from that i went back to someone was help who was helping me with on a, on another project and said what we're going to do is we're going to use the screen scraping tool we're going to ask for a list of the skus that the seller needs and then we're going to send them back a feed on that feed it's going to optimize their prices and basically we had this idea it was going to be semi automated it was almost going to be a an email exchange of of spreadsheets, and the founding CTO, as I call him, you know, the guy that built the, the first app. He he stayed up over a weekend and and actually built the app. So instead of asking for a feed or a spreadsheet, we we actually sent the first seller, the first customer, a login, and that became the first app. So it was this idea of um, the design principles I, I came up with, and I was very fortunate to have someone who was able to code very quickly and you know what's so beautiful about this interview is joe who's the founding cto learned everything from thoughtbot and that's how i got in, in touch with uh, thoughtbot in the first place and he was a self-taught programmer almost entirely on thoughtbot content and that's an absolutely true statement i, I wasn't expecting to kind of recount <laughs> that but that was amazing well, that's awesome
0: that's always nice to hear and, and that sounds actually obviously it was a lot more manual but it, extremely close to the product today
2: in a way i think well actually what's evolved significantly and 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 back in that day was um i was buying and reselling branded goods this was way before the era where you could start your own brand you know what i was doing is a lot less impressive than some of our customers some of our customers today are inventing new brands you know, launching them and, and producing them and, and getting them on Amazon and becoming direct to consumer brands on Amazon, Walmart, um, or, or using Shopify. So the product has changed. It's evolved with the market. So what we were doing there was screen scraping and using pricing algorithms to price the actual goods. What we've done today and where we are today is, is using a lot more AI and machine learning to actually automate those changes and do them very intelligently based off much larger data sets. And that's where my role has shifted as a CEO to finding, you know, incredible talent like Atish who you interviewed, who've had experience working with large data sets, working with advertising technology. That created a big step function for us. We were really fortunate that Amazon also had a big idea. They ended up you know, saying, look, we're going to get into advertising. And in three years, they went from zero to 10 billion in in ad revenue. So there was a lot of luck involved. and, And that gave us the opportunity and sort of jumped the business to the next level. And, you know, that was over the last three years.
1: Clearly, early on, you being a seller, you could build a product for yourself. And it was very likely what your customers would want, right? So I imagine that yep. it was pretty straightforward and there was a, a lot of low hanging fruit because you're going from zero to something.
2: Yes, yeah, so absolutely. Sort of the, the product function itself was natural pain reduction for our, for our own business. Um, so we went from repricing, which was that screen scraping model that I talked about, to inventory management and the idea of the fact that we had to put thousands of dollars of inventory into warehouses that amazon operated and uh, that's the basis of what's called fba fulfillment by amazon and i needed a way to see how much inventory uh, we needed to restock and see what our inventory levels were and that's the app that we built it's pretty timely today actually in, in the middle of this coronavirus crisis Amazon today has 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 throttled the inventory going into FBA, and it's created a huge uproar because what they're doing is they're prioritizing you know medical supplies and household goods, which they should be, of course. But that's the supply chain that feeds the third party seller networks into Amazon Prime. Um, so so that's something that we saw early as a as a seller, and you know the product roadmap just evolved very naturally. I think honestly you know, one of my biggest fears is that we distance ourselves from that. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, we have an initiative in the company right now to understand the seller pain. You know, if you think about companies that have an intrinsic advantage to build software that the teams and use, I think, you know, one of our challenges that is not everyone in the company is a seller. The engineers aren't selling, the data scientists aren't typically selling you know, product managers and so on. So we're going to do a lot, and we've been doing a lot around this. So it, it hasn't stopped. The seller DNA has continued, and I and I think that's just a critical part of who we are as a business.
1: Do you remember or can you recall when maybe the first request from a customer that was different than the need you were feeling yourself as a seller came in?
2: Yeah, no, we've had that continually as we change to becoming more software first. And I, I think this is probably helpful for the listeners to think through some of the other parts of starting a, a software company is you know the, the funding piece and the, the need to actually learn and be sustainable. So what I did in the early days was continue to sell on Amazon for a certain amount of time. And I reached a point where I could see that the SaaS business model the idea of going full time on takeaway metrics was the path that i wanted to take but i was able to hedge and i was able to continue to operate a profitable amazon business so if you think about you know how much advantage that gives you as an entrepreneur you know i was able to create really good symbiotic relationship between this amazon uh, reselling business and the software development And that gave us an advantage in in the very beginning. It allowed us to take less dilution. It allowed us to think carefully about what type of investors that we would want to bring to the table. But to your point, it created a big jump to make when we wanted to build for the future of retail, which isn't resellers on Amazon, it's brands. It's brands that think about Amazon shopify instagram checkouts and uh, walmart and all these other channels and that's that's our vision it's never been to focus specifically on amazon so i think that's when you know the maturity of the product requirements shifted most significantly is from reselling to brands and you know we're really fortunate as i said earlier that that amazon reached out and said look we're aligned we want to build an ad platform. And uh, as you know, we we also engaged with Thoughtbot that helped us through that, that that was a really good forcing function to have uh, a, an entirely new product. What's pretty amazing now, actually, is we're, we're rebuilding the new version of the technology with some of the the things that we learned a long time ago about inventory optimization. So in a, in a way, we've come full circle. But I think there's some positive and negatives. I mean, if you continue to build for yourself, you know, maybe you end up, you know, building something very small. I, I was listening to, um, or reading the Bob Iger book, you know, the, the recent CEO of Disney. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece talking about being careful that you're not the world's best trombone oil producer. The takeaway there is, you know, how niche is the problem you're trying to solve? Or is it a, a problem that might have a limited lifespan and you know optimizing reselling goods on amazon isn't uh, the ultimate goal of our business it's to become the operating system for these entrepreneurs and brands
0: as your uh, company has been you know so far pretty focused on amazon what is your official relationship with them is there some sort of partnership tier
2: yeah it's a it's a really interesting one so you know, in the early days you know my relationship was was primarily on, on the seller side. As from the software side, Amazon didn't really lean into third-party application providers for a long time. You know, as I, as I said earlier, we were actually screen scraping to get a lot of the data used to do the optimization. This was before Amazon APIs were available. Now you can look at that in two ways. You could say you get a head start if you're willing to do things that aren't freely available. You know, there's a positive and negative to have open APIs. If if you're if you're willing to do things in, in a more scrappy form, you can start to build a solution before APIs are available. But as soon as the APIs were released you saw an emergence of solution providers in all the different areas that sellers have operated in. I think an analogy would be you know, Facebook in the days of Facebook Connect or even the app marketplace like uh, iOS. And I'm sure you're, all, of course, familiar with it, ThoughtBot. So the evolution of, of Amazon's outlook on the world has been to you know, become more and more open, it wasn't until we became an emerging leader in the ad space, meaning you know Amazon advertising optimization, that we actually engaged with Amazon. And that's where we became very aligned because we were working with their very tenacious teams that were looking to grow their Amazon advertising business as quickly as possible. So I had this amazing meeting, the first time I've ever been to Amazon headquarters. And actually, the first time I've ever met an Amazon employee was when I met a guy called Paul Kotas. Paul Kotas, he's referenced in the famous book, The Everything Store. And Paul bought donuts for the first six sellers on on the marketplace back in 1998 or 1999, I think. And it was bizarre. I mean, Paul reports to Bezos now. And uh, that's the first person I ever met. And, you know, Paul's team's ended up building an entire platform for third-party integrators. And the reason they did that is they've wanted to grow so quickly. This is one of the areas that Amazon has chosen not to disintermediate the third-party providers. The other example would be AWS. And we actually have have emerged as, as one of the leaders there. And it's a really strong relationship now. Initially, we were quite coy about the whole thing. We were like, You know, some of our investors said, you know, be really careful if you go to Amazon, they're only going to steal your ideas or, you know, don't even communicate with them. And that changed significantly. It's come so far full circle that we've actually made our new chief product officer, Srini Gadanti, he came from Amazon and he came and reported directly to Paul (laughs) And was the head of the integrator platform, and wow. he could see how quickly we were growing. And uh, you know, we've got this 14-year Amazon executive who reported two levels below Jeff Bezos as our chief product officer. And uh, four years ago, I met Paul Cotis, and 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 that's the sort of the story of the Amazon interaction. Um, so it, it is interesting.
0: Well, I think you hit right on the question in my question, which is: It seems like as you were developing the product you took a little bit of a chance not knowing what uh, Amazon's plan was, which worked in your favor, maybe a few times. But how do you think about that? Are you trying to predict what Amazon's going to do next? Are you not worried about it? Do you now have a relationship where you're getting some insight into their roadmap that can help you inform decisions that take a metrics?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it goes back to one of our early questions. So I'll, I'll, I'll go backwards a little bit and then I'll get specifically to how we think about the future. I mean, when we were trying to jump the gap from becoming a, uh, a sort of a niche tool to help Amazon resellers, you know, restock their inventory and so on, I could see the market shifting towards brands. And I think you need to think deeply about what does the future look like? I mean, if you're reselling other people's goods, on an open marketplace like Amazon, and you can see Procter and Gamble being split into six divisions, and you can see Warby Parker eating into the sunglass industry, and you can see Harry's and Dollar Shave Club disrupting Gillette. What you can start to see is the future of retail and the retail environment being really direct to consumer. And that at that time you know, kept me up at night because I was thinking to myself, look, we're building a software company on the basis of a reselling model that's going to be really threatened, and it's not the future. That ultimately led us to do some really interesting tests. I remember doing a webinar where almost at the last minute, we pivoted the content of the webinar to say, we're going to launch this project called Brand Accelerator, and we're going to work with any Amazon brand and help them for a certain amount of money for 3 months trying to launch. And we ended up doing everything. We we did photography, we did, you know, the copywriting, we did all of these different things and we did that for about 6 months and we actually made money doing that. It felt very almost like consulting. You know, people have, in our team we still joke about that as the some, some of the genesis of how we jumped the gap into advertising. And that's how we figured out that ads was the sort of repeatable process that was going to be a software product. If we hadn't done that, I think you can sort of take out Amazon for a moment. I don't think we would have got into the position to work with Amazon. I think the most important thing for entrepreneurs and and leaders to be visionary is, is to just work backwards from that end state. It's a macro level. You know, Amazon ultimately is just the best place right now in two thousand and twenty to get to consumers because of Amazon Prime and the infrastructure, but that doesn 't mean that that 's the only place in the world and we 've started working with Walmart I think Facebook and Instagram are very interesting when they start to think about e commerce so we 've never really thought about amazon here we 've always thought about what does the customer our sellers want what are what are they going to be trying to do in the next few years and I think if we stick to that. You can have the best answers for your question. Now, in practice, you know, we do work very closely with Amazon and we do listen to their product roadmaps and we do think to ourselves, what can they do that's similar to us, or what can we do that they can't do? You know, that's where we're almost like the little fish cleaning their gills. I mean, they're the big whale and we're the little fish. They need us as part of the ecosystem. But you have to think very strategically about things that they can't do for example inventory optimization and the fact that we have cost of goods sold data you would never give that to amazon as a brand i know that from being a business operator in the past and thinking carefully about what the customers our sellers need and that's one example of you know how that drives the product strategy because amazon is going to build its own tools on its platform and we've seen that in ad tech with google and facebook building more and more tools so that's one way I would answer the question about how we think about Amazon. The other thing is the incentives aren't entirely aligned. You know, Shrini, who now works on our team, you know, who built the business with Paul COTUS, reporting into Bezos from zero to 10 billion, fastest growing Amazon uh, revenue stream ever, will tell you that they're constantly trying to grow that revenue stream for their best interests. I'm sure as a consumer, you can see this on Amazon, all the ads and all the different placements and you know, the the experience has changed. And you've got to think carefully about, you know, when we're in these meetings and the developer council meetings, who are we trying to build for? Are we trying to build for Amazon teams to grow their revenue stream or are we we trying to build for our own customers? And the answer is you've got to do both. And it's a multi-dimensional optimization problem. You've got to become the best little fish that cleans the Amazon gills. You can use that to get an advantage. You've got to think through what the customers want. You know, we're going through that right now. I, I can't tell you for sure if we've navigated it successfully. I, I hope we have. We're trying our best. And it's it's a complex game. It's not a binary decision of, of one or the other. And uh, I hope that answers the question. I, I know it's a lot, long-winded answer.
0: No, definitely.
1: Do you have at TakeoMetrics what you would call a formal product roadmap?
2: Yes, we do. It's new. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be vulnerable for the audience because I think it's important to recognize. I mean, we've, we've grown very large relatively to where we were. You know, we're not a huge company. We have 120 employees. We've just raised another round of capital, a $15 million round that closed at the end of 2019. And, We've been calibrating to optimize for growth and, and revenue. We, you know, we grew approximately 150% last year. So the product roadmap has been very much aligned with speed and revenue growth. When we hired Shrini in June of 2019, and we subsequently closed the funding that's recently funded, we now have a more exciting multidimensional problem. The TechCrunch coverage of our funding talked about this, the idea that we're going to be moving outside of Amazon. So we're now working with Walmart and uh, we're going to start working with some other channels that are in in progress. And we're also going to be moving away from ads and, and quite interestingly back into inventory optimization. And I think that complexity has created a very different product roadmap a roadmap that has multiple things going on at the same time. You know, I, I've learned a lot about, you know, the difference between, you know, me and Atish working on, you know, a single threaded problem and and now this this much more complex challenge. So Shrini has done a fantastic job. We've got some very experienced product managers who are now at the table. And we did not invest in that function in the company very much because one of the arguments you would have would be look, we've got only so many engineering resources if we had all of these ideas how would we build them anyway and and now we have the funding to do that and we have enough cash flow to do that but that becomes an interesting problem not just on the product and engineering teams but on the leadership alignment side maybe one way to think about it is to say you know do you want to double down all on amazon and continue to be the very best at amazon or do you start to innovate outside of that And that's almost a startup classic question where people say focus is the most important thing and you could fail if you're doing too many things at once. And that's the dilemma, Uh, it's a classic one.
0: We're gonna take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But it can also take your TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. For example, you can use ExpressVPN to binge Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, one of the greatest shows of all time, on Australian Netflix. It's so simple. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location to Australia, refresh Netflix, and that's it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away! But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices. Phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. If you visit expressvpn.com slash robots, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com robots. Thanks again to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Giant Robots.
1: So how far out does your current product roadmap go into the future?
2: Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna talk in too much detail, and I, I doubt our competitors are using this as, as Intel. Yeah.
1: And I'm not even curious too much about under the assumption that you can't talk about what you're going to do in the future. I'm mostly thinking about or asking about just timeframes. Like, you know, are there concrete items on there that are two years from now, or are you doing it on different timeframes?
2: No, I was just joking, Chad, and um, I'll I'll happily answer the question. I I won't dig into the granular details. No, it's been exciting. You know, working with Srini and working now after growing so quickly in the last two years, has allowed us to set a North Star in a much bigger way. And I've learned, I, I was asking Srini, what was it like to work with Jeff Bezos in 2005? You know, as a, as a CEO of a, of a small company who used to be the guy, you know, talking to every customer and, and building the tools, at least on the design side and being the, the product person, I've learned a lot about leadership organization and strategic planning and, and strategic leadership, it starts with that. It starts about with where do you want to get to? And I think that's mm-hmm. really powerful and, you know, very successful companies like Amazon. You know, one of our investors uh, was early on at Facebook and, and also at Uber. And um, what I can tell you is we've got a much bigger plan and it sort of puts a stake in the ground you know working backwards from a company that can have you know over 100 million in ARR and work backwards from that and what that does is it helps you actually make better decisions in order to define not just the product roadmap but the leadership structure and you know the marketing structure and the go to market strategies and then it actually market sizing backwards of how you're going to get there and you know, I, I've learned a lot, Chad. I, I didn't really have that much opportunity to think that big and, and, and work backwards. Um, so the biggest takeaway, I would say, counterintuitively, it starts really big and works mm-hmm. backwards. And I think a lot of leaders and a lot of executives in, in startups find that hard to do because you're sort of looking at yourself. Uh, you could be at five million in, in ARR or whatever the numbers are. And then if someone says, well, guys, let's work backwards from 100 million, you sort of almost dismiss it because it's such an easy thing to say. But if you really, really work hard at answering how do you work back, that's your really only chance to do that. So we've we've been doing that across all of the segments of the business, product roadmap being one of them. And that relates to market sizing and market segmentation, And, uh, it's, it's been really exciting. And then the granularly details, which I don't have to go into come from that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you've got this sort of high level view, five year plan, and then you've got that moving downwards to the current day. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't change. It doesn't mean that it's right either. Uh, but I think it gives you the best possible shot. And, uh, I, I would argue that, you know, if I started another business, I would, implement that type of thinking earlier and as it would help with leadership clarity and teamwork
1: do you think that if you had done that with take metrics on day one
2: you would have gotten it right hmm Well, I think it's always a journey. I mean, I, you Mm -hmm. know, I've just had a sense of the scale of the marketplace. Like I was, I've been always been aware of the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of sellers like me back then. And, and that's, you know, that was evolving pretty quickly. I just don't think I had the CEO muscle to know how to take that as a dreamer and put it into a system. And then someone like Srini who has done amazing things like uh, build fulfillment systems and, and build advertising, has seen that and figured out how to build a business from zero to 10 billion within Amazon. I guess the difference is knowing how to lead the team and design the plan was the part that I was missing. So if if, mm-hmm. if I went back, I'm sure I could help you know, my former self or hopefully I get a chance to help other people do this and not make the same mistakes I would do. And I would I would help them with the systems. I don't think I missed on the idea of it going big. I just didn't know how to lead the team. Probably why investors or clearly why investors, you know, tend to invest with someone who's gone from zero to X before. Because they know what the structure should be
1: that resonates with me or not that I'm skeptical <laughs> about what you're saying, but you started creating a tool for yourself. Mm-hmm. You wanted to create something bigger, obviously, but did you set yeah. out from day one to create a big team and a and a business or were you mostly just doing it for
2: yourself? No, that's a, I love how direct and that's a really important question because it's it's sort of easy for me to sit here now and you know be on this podcast and sort of profess to have the answers from the beginning, which I clearly <laughs> didn't. I mean, no, I mean, I slept in my office for two years after I graduated from college, <laughs> dealing with stale inventory. And the journey has been a really interesting one. I think what ends up happening is you reach a point that you have to decide how big it can be. And for me, there was a pivotal moment I was with our founding uh, CTO, his name's Joe. He's the guy that learned everything he knew about programming at the time from Thoughtbot. That's the guy that built the early MVP Mm -hmm. and and helped me alongside running the retail business. And uh, what ended up happening is actually a pretty prominent investor in Boston reached out and had a thesis about investing in e-commerce and specifically amazon space and we got really far in the pitch and you know this is an investor who's who's invested in hubspot and kayak and um some really really big names and he actually brought me into a meeting with uh, one of the founders of demandware and scott galloway from a company called l2 he, he's he's also a professor at nyu and writes a lot of stuff about innovation and in e-commerce and um he nearly made the investment but said to me uh, looking at, at me and said alistair we really like this space you know we're intrigued by you but there's this sort of missing concept around the team and that led me to find our current cto atish i think at that point there was a certain level of validation there was a certain level of understanding that this could be a lot larger around an actual software business and it's not like i designed the business around the feedback from a venture capital meeting but there was a lot of truth in it and then i think the rest is all is just luck uh, the fact that Amazon did what it did from the time I was in college to where it is today. Um, the fact that direct-to-consumer retail has disrupted brick and mortar and data science has, has always had this promise of, you know, big data or AI, you know, it's gone through these different waves and now it's real. I think there's just a moment in time. I'm I'm just really lucky. I, I didn't design any of those macro things, of course. Um, so you put those together you put some of the validation from the external world in and the fact that you could actually raise money and actually some feedback from you, Chad. I mean, I've, uh, you know, bounced ideas off you and other people I I highly respect and are visionary. And, And I think it became a point where I was like, yes, I can build something large. So I will admit, you know, in the very beginning, it wasn't this work back schedule to a huge company. But as soon as we started to focus on bringing people to the team
1: mm-hmm.
2: who are leaving, you know, large roles, in Tish's case, he had been a VP of engineering at TripAdvisor and then was running engineering or a component of engineering at Nanigans. I think that actually put pressure on me as a CEO to have the answers. And from that point onward, you know, I've had to really think about my role. Um, and that changes everything because that changes from a sort of almost like a founder dynamic that the founder can, you know, choose to have a lifestyle business or not, or the founder can choose Mm -hmm. to, you know, be unfunded. I think that decision, although we didn't close the funding, it was almost like we did. And then I think you get the right level of pressure. Now, of course, you know, there's tons of stories with VC back companies that fail, But you you kind of can't not have that answer, right? You have that forcing function to say, this has to be big. It has to be big. Otherwise, we wouldn't have invested. Etish Salvi would not have joined if this wasn't big. And that's, I think, the tipping point for me.
1: So what I'm hearing then is that going all the way back to the beginning, you might have benefited from a little bit bigger thinking, a little bit bigger vision that you were then working back from.
2: I think so. I mean, I think at that point, I was then changing from a founder Mm -hmm. that was in a quite fortunate position to have two profitable businesses. I had the profitable retail operation and the profitable software stuff. And it was more of an experiment of hedging. I mean, the economics shifted too, because you had to invest in technology and R&D. And I think that's the biggest tipping point you know, by definition, R and D is ahead of revenue or not, not by definition, but it tends to be ahead of revenue. And that's where you've got to start to put into place, you know, a product roadmap, a vision and a plan. And yes, the clearer that your plan is, I think the better chance you have to execute. Now that plan can be fluid. You can make mistakes on the plan. You can adjust. I I'm not stating that the plan is perfect, but I, if I had a plan earlier, you're just going to deploy resources in a more effective way. You're going to be more efficient. You're going to be more aligned. You're going to be able to execute go-to-market strategy better. You're going to be able to you know, map across team alignment against a, a plan. It, it's su- such a sort of almost cliched standpoint. It's like, where are we going to? We're going to climb that hill, or there's the North Star we're going to walk towards. The sooner i had done that, the better. I would challenge anyone to say that they're going to be in a worse place if they can define for clarity for everyone in the company to look to that goal.
0: So speaking of setting the big vision and working towards it, do you have company wide goals for twenty twenty at Take
2: Yes. And, um, I've done a, a few things. I've evolved our own framework, um, you know, our own operating system, so to speak. And, um, we set quarterly goals and we set, uh, which where we have a, a quarterly kickoff for the team. We then have tools like a, a weekly all hands where we're transparent and we're sharing our progress towards those goals. And, uh, the team, you know, maps to those goals in their various departments you know, in fact, I was talking to an executive coaching company about, you know, the fact that we've outgrown that operating system, and uh, we're going to enhance it, you know, we brought someone in like Srini, who's managed 700 people across 13 countries, you know, it's it's a whole new set of energy and um, talent that I have in the leadership team. So I have to think about, the system to put them in place we've also raised more money at a much higher valuation than when we first started so i think it's that operating system is so important i've been part of a ceo forum for the last 3 years you know that's been an amazing experience you know there's some amazing companies in there and and generally talking to ceos who are more experienced than me have got better companies and more advanced processes so I think it's just, you know, we've only really just started. I mean, we're, we're a small company from relative to where we need to get to. And goal setting is, is just fundamental to that. But then with that becomes all of the other sort of operating system tools that you need. The coaching team that I was just talking to is, is, is part of the Advantage. It's a book that I've read. You know, I think that's, you know, a really important concept in that book is organizational health. And it's not just goal setting, it's, you know, how do you manage your leadership teams backward and, and so on. And, you know, those can be all applied to the product teams and the, the go-to-market strategy and, and so on. But I think my role shifted significantly to thinking about you know, these bigger questions versus four or five years ago, it was, what does this button look like on the screen? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different.
0: Can you share uh, what any of those goals are? You know, I think some typical ones are around revenue or acquisition, maybe team size.
2: Sure, I think the, the most important ones that we want to achieve are, you know, the big challenges, exciting challenges to establish that we're multi-channel and, you know, beyond advertising. Those are the biggest ones. Those are going to be the defining various to step us to the next level. Again, it's not because investors are saying, look, you can only be so big if you're on Amazon, all really driven, honestly, around uh, our valuation. To me, what's exciting is the future of retail looks like that. You know, We've got such an opportunity to help these businesses and entrepreneurs. And when I use the word entrepreneur, I mean an entrepreneur that might be within a tiny company that signs to sell on Amazon today, versus a leader at a lego who's one of our clients who needs to try and figure out how to execute on amazon so we've got the ability to create technology to solve those problems and what's so cool about this is the problems are way beyond just ads i mean these people are trying to figure out like today in the middle of coronavirus they've suspended shipments now what do you do how do you forecast I think we can use AI and machine learning to answer those questions. And, you know, the other questions would be, what price do I sell my product for? Should I sell my product on Walmart and Amazon at the same time? And, you know, when Instagram checkout becomes available, what do I do there? So if you think back to e commerce being only about ten and a half percent of total retail, it's so exciting. So, you know, there's just a ton of stuff in front of us. And I think it's inspiring. Um, I mean, that's why people like Srini have joined and we've got a really fast growing team all, all focused on that mission around the seller or the entrepreneur, really. Like, what, what do these people really need? And it's no different to when I was in my dorm room. You know, what did I need? And I was writing the labels, for example, back in two thousand and one to put on the boxes, and you know, trying to trying to look at all these different ways to to streamline it. And uh, I'm really enjoying myself with that problem.
0: How will you know when you've established yourself as multi-channel?
2: Yeah, so that's a, that's a classic one, and, and this is where investors do matter because you know to do everything I've just said, you need money. You either need money coming from the cash in the business or you need investors. You know We've got such an ambitious idea, we had to get investors. And a lot of those investors have said, how big can you get just on Amazon? You know We've never seen a business get really, really large on Amazon. Or why isn't this going to end up like the ad tech companies with Google and, and Facebook? Like in, in Google AdWords, for example, a lot of the technologies that are out there for ad tech have just been built by Google themselves. So you can get them for free. So there's been that sort of question and pressure to think through, you know, your question, which is how do you define multi-channel? And the other thing you're betting on, if you're betting on multi-channel, is you're almost betting on Amazon losing market share. When you think back to when I first started and I got a fax from Amazon in 2003, and they said that they wanted to take 15% of the transaction, I thought it was a joke. I was like, why would I ever sign up and list my stuff on this book website? (laughs) And, And that literally what was what I was thinking back then. And, you know, I filled it out anyway and sent a fax back and, you know, reluctantly listed a couple of things. So what was in play at that point was eBay was the only place. And then, as I mentioned earlier, just having an organically ranked website, I think this is what's so interesting about technology and innovation in general i can guarantee that e-commerce is going to be not just amazon i think there are so many platforms if you look at china and you look at other places around the world you know the data that other platforms are going to have one good example would be instagram and facebook you know facebook has data on you and me as consumers that amazon doesn't have it's far up in the funnel You know, when you're thinking about Amazon, you're almost already in the shop. The ads are almost like the ads at the end of a shopping aisle. They're not really ads in the traditional sense where you discover new things. Now, Instagram and Facebook are different. And I think that creates a really interesting data science problem where, you know, someone like Facebook and Instagram, or it could be someone else that we haven't heard of yet, has an opportunity to get ahead and actually be successful in e-commerce. Google is a good one as well. You know, think of watching a video about camping on YouTube and then being able to buy a tent right within YouTube. I know Google's working on that type of stuff, and we're super excited to have the chance to partner with them. So there's a little bit of timing here. What Amazon did was incredibly powerful. They saw this so far ahead that they built robotics and autonomous, you know, warehouses to ultimately create a moat. And that became Amazon Prime. What I think is going to happen is, you know, autonomous vehicles, robotics, things are going to evolve. And these other platforms that hold consumer data are going to get into e-commerce. So it's only a matter of time. So I'm not really worried about the timing. You know, it's less about revenue on another marketplace. It's more about proof. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did something at CES. We partnered with Walmart. We're one of four partners that launched... And we're onboarding Walmart customers now. Walmart's a good example because they have customer data inside their shops, so they have an omni-channel advantage that Amazon doesn't, and that's playing out quite nicely for our our customers. And the customers, our sellers, want another place to sell other than Amazon. So you know, if you think back, zoom out a little bit, you know, next five years, yes, it's going to be very different. Next ten years, very different. And if you took, you know, what I've seen over the last 10 years or 20 years, it's very unlikely that it's going to be a one-stop shop for Amazon. You know, that's most important. So I think we can show some things this year. We already are that show a path and that's more important than the revenue.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's all about proof.
2: Yeah, but not being too far ahead. Actually, when I first met Thoughtbot, I was building a fitness website that was before iOS and I met the founders of Fitbit, and I met the founders of Runkeeper, and I remember meeting Jason Jacobs, who's the founder of Runkeeper, in the street, and he said, "Oh, you're wearing a Trainio t-shirt." That was the name of my company. He's so, like, "Oh, I've I found this thing called the iOS Store." Oh, you know, we're about to launch one of the first apps. And I thought to myself, "Well, that's interesting. What what the hell's that? I don't even know what that is." And it was just an example of getting the timing wrong, because <laughs> I actually engaged with Thoughtbot in I think 2006 was where I first met Chad and uh, I said hey Chad I need you to help me build this fitness website and I guess the point in bringing this up is timing is really important you don't want to be building the world's best Snapchat e-commerce app if no one's buying (laughs) on Snapchat or something like that so I can't tell you for sure if I'm going to get the timing right and you never know and I've messed it up numerous times (laughs) I didn't build map my run and sell it to Under Armour for four hundred million. I didn't start Fitbit either, but I had a similar idea, poorly executed, with no money, not mobile. You know, hopefully we're not doing that. Hopefully we're getting the timing right. And I guess time will tell. Someone's gonna do it. Hope it's us.
1: So Alistair, thanks again for stopping by and talking to us about how you've thought about you know, product roadmap and goal setting and how it's evolved over time. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and can't wait till the next time.
1: Yeah. So you'll be back uh, next month. Alistair, if people want to get in touch with you on Twitter or whatever and find out more about Takeo Metrics, where's the best places for them to do that?
2: I'm actually most active on LinkedIn, but feel free mm-hmm. to for ping me there. And uh, I really appreciate it. I'd, I'd love to connect with other entrepreneurs and other product leaders.
1: Wonderful. For those of you listening at home, you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm.
0: If you have questions or comments, you can email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at lindsay 3 d You
1: can find me on Twitter at CPytel, and this podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski.
0: Thanks for listening, and see you next time.
1: This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.